Good morning, brothers and sisters. Thank you for uh, joining me in the great privilege to be able to give the word of God today. Um, it's a, quite an honor for me because, as you guys know, I'm a deacon. Uh, I'm not an elder, but we are in need of uh, providing some uh, help to our brother. So I have the great privilege of being able to share the word of God with you today. Let us go ahead and turn in prayer so that we can pray for the spirit of God to work with us or in us and for us to be able to pray for the wonderful word that God has given us. Blessed Father, we're grateful always for your wonderful work in us, for the word that you've given, Lord. For indeed, Lord, it is, it is a great task, Lord, that you set up to do, Father, through your holy prophets, Lord, all the way down to your apostles, Lord. And here we have the great privilege in this day to be able to not only have the ability to preach this, Lord, but to each and every one of us be able to hold that word, Father. Even in this country, to be able to have many translations, Lord, to be able to see the profundity of your word. I just ask you that today you would uh, indeed sanctify our souls, that you would open up our ears and allow our souls to be able to bring in this wonderful message, Father, that you have given, especially the message of the cross, Lord, which is salvation to you, that is offered to every soul, Lord. Though not all come, Father, but those, Father, whom you are indeed purposing to be called out, to be elected, you are doing so. For we ask it in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. So today we're going to be continuing in the book of Philippians, chapter 2. And we're going to be looking at verses 5 through 8. So let me go ahead and uh, read that with you guys. Have this mind amongst yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even on the cross. I've titled the sermon, The Humbled Christ. I was originally going to call it The Humbled and Exalted Christ, but actually our brother will be dealing with the exaltation of Christ in the following verses afterward, because there's actually much to say about this. But I want to begin with the first verse, which speaks of having this mind, amongst ourselves, which is in Christ Jesus. Which is basically telling us, brothers, that we have to have a particular mindset as a Christian. And why is this important? Because everybody has a point of view. Everybody has a view on how they look at things. We have to have a view that is in the lens of Christ. And in the lens of Christ means that we have to be doing it through the prophetic word, which Christ himself appealed to. Not meaning like the world who wants to basically operate and look at things in the way that they want to do. I think everybody knows that if you talk to your family members, co-workers, many different kinds of people, people have different opinions, right? And why? And a lot of it has to do because we come from different backgrounds and we come from different belief systems. But if you're a Christian, we should actually be of one mind. We should be looking into having one particular view that we should be aiming at. Now, there are... Uh, differences within the body, but of course, how do we uh, argue those things between each other? Once again, through appealing to scripture. So what I want to do is I want to give an example of this by turning to Matthew 23 and looking at verses 9 through 12. Reading as follows, And call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven, 
neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. The greatest among you, among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. So what is this text teaching? This text is teaching us that in reality, even though we could we, we could call certain uh, individuals our spiritual fathers, like in my case, I had a spiritual mother with my grandmother. My grandmother was very, very key in teaching me about the things of God and the things of the Bible. But when it comes to the reality of who is our teacher, there is only one teacher. And that is God. And we only have one instructor, and that's Jesus Christ. So it's very, very important that we pay attention to the things that are taught in the Bible, and in particularly what Jesus had to say. And part of that, knowing what Jesus had to say, has to do with listening to what the apostles spoke. I don't know if you've seen this, brothers, but one of the problems that I've run into in having to deal with people is that sometimes when you're dealing with Scripture, sometimes people just want to make an appeal to Jesus. They just want to say, well, I'm only going to follow what Jesus said. You know, I'm not going to follow what Paul says. I'm not going to follow what Peter says. Because that's that's the word of man. They only follow, you know, what the, what, uh, what Jesus said. But there's a big problem with that. And the big obvious problem has to do that. Last I checked, Jesus didn't write down these things, right? That red letter uh, Bible that you have, Jesus didn't write down these things. That came down to us through whom? Through his servants. So we have to be willing to accept the fact that the word of God was given down by his prophets and his apostles. And so when we are studying these things, we have to be accepting them not merely as a word of man, but as the word of God. And so it needs to be taken seriously. Another thing that I want to mention is that I'm very thankful to the Lord that we have the church, that we are here as a body. Why? Because when you look at the world, brothers, how does the world conduct itself? Especially in this day. The world is very quick to actually point the finger at us for being judgmental. Even though the scriptures speak of these things, the scriptures speak of the fact that we are to give a big judgment. That's what Jesus taught us in John. But what happens is that the world, while telling us that we are judgmental, they themselves judge. Just look at the, the headlines. Look at the way they go after people. Even now, brothers, we see people that are being sought after for things that they did years ago. And in cases, things that are not clear crimes. And yet they're coming after people. And they, we have what is called the cancel culture, in which they want to basically have people removed from media platforms. They want them to lose their jobs. Brothers, that is a great evil. How did Jesus teach us to be with our enemies? What did he say? That we are to love our enemies. Does loving our enemy mean that we cancel them out? And not, and take away you know, their, their way of being able to feed themselves and their family? No, that is a great evil. So I'm thankful to the Lord because we don't have that mindset. If you want to live in the way that Christ did, Christ is actually the greatest, the greatest show of mercy and grace that God can give to us. Why? Because what do we deserve as sinners, brothers? We deserve death. We deserve the ultimate wrath of God. And God has every right to be angry because the world is evil. And even ourselves are evil, brothers. Because we still contend with sin. That means we are not doing what is pleasing to God. But we have the wonderful thing that God has given to us, which is His precious Son. And His precious Son did not relent in being obedient to the cross, to the point of death. And so this is the mindset that we want to be focusing on. We want to be able to be as Christ. To be able to seek to do those things that please God. Not be self-pleasers. Or pleasers of, or even worse in my opinion, being pleasers of the world. Because the world really doesn't have anything good to give to you. 
Even the things that they search after, we know are only temporary. None of the things that people are working for in this world are going to come to an end. Why? Because it is of this earth. Everything that is in this earth is going to perish. But what is of heaven, that is what's going to last. And that is what has been imparted to us through Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ, yes, was born of a, was born of a woman, born as a man. But where did, where did he come from? Where is that spirit from? It comes from heaven. He's the, he's the only one that can say, I have come down and got up. None of us can say. Because all of us are born of, of this earth, born of the dust. And as we know, because of sin, from the dust that we came to the dust we shall return. But because of Jesus Christ and his work, we have the great hope that we're going to live again. We're not going to remain in the dust. At least not as those who do not seek the face of God and his mercy. But instead take pride in believing the things that they desire and the things that they want to see. For many times, I've had many conversations with people, and I've made particular points, and it's to no avail, because it doesn't change your heart. And earlier on, I, I very much believed that it was man who chose whether you were going to be following God or whether you were going to do what is, what is good. But it's become clearly through the testament of Scripture and through seeing this in life that that's not so bad. We need the Spirit of God to be able to change us. So if you're out there and, and you cannot hear these things, but you know that these things are good, if you are having a hard time accepting these things, call upon the Lord. Ask the Lord to work in your heart, that He may be able to change that mindset that you have, and that He may be able to give you the glorious light that comes from Jesus Christ. The one thing that we do not want to do is we don't want to be also like many of the false religious people that are out there. There's a lot of false religious people out there who think of themselves as holy and who justify themselves because they think that they are doing good. But the book of Proverbs states itself that no man is without sin and who can make his heart pure? No man can. But yet there are people out there that have deceived themselves in thinking that they are actually in good standing with God or that they are good people. But we know that no man is without any stain. If you please turn to Matthew 23, I'd like to look at verses 16 and 17 and take a look at how Jesus dealt with the Pharisees. Who we knew were people that thought that they were just in and of themselves. Verse 16. Woe to you blind guides who say, If anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. You blind fools, which is greater, the gold or the temple that has made the gold sacred? The importance is God himself. What makes us holy? What is it that, that makes us a people of God? Is it ourselves? Is it the fact that we're able to 100% do what God asks? We know that that's not so. It is because God has imparted His wonderful Spirit to us that we're able to be in, in relationship with Him, to have a connection, and to be able to even do the things that God has asked of us. The Pharisees, being Jews, and actually even today, with, the, with Jews today, who do you think they think is the greatest? The greatest that God has called. Who is the greatest of the prophets? Moses, right? You said, right? They think that Moses is, is uh, the greatest of the prophets. Now, it'd be very interesting for those of us that are Christians to not see it that way, right? Because we have such a high view of Christ being the Messiah. But let us turn to Numbers chapter 12, 6 through 9. 
And I want you to see what it says about Moses, because it actually says something very interesting about Moses. That I don't, I don't know if you guys have ever read about anybody else, right? But it makes a pretty uh, interesting testament to him. To give you a little context, uh, here we have an issue where Moses' uh, brother and sister were actually questioning his authority. They were having an issue with him. And uh, the scriptures actually give us light to what God had to say. Starting at verse 6 through 9. Says, and he said, hear my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him I speak mouth to mouth clearly, not in riddles. And he beholds the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? And the anger of the Lord was kindled against him, and he departed. If you notice here, brothers, it says that he spoke face to face. Clearly, clearly as one man speaks to another. And I find it very interesting that it says that he did not speak to him in riddles. Because if you guys know, much of the Bible is actually a lot of riddles. When we look at the parables, when we look at the uh, eschatological, uh, you know, the end time uh, passages, they're sometimes they're, hard, they're very hard to understand. You know, because the Lord conceals to man. Why? Because the Lord is not interested in speaking to those who do not love Him. We are to love Him. What is the first commandment? What is the greatest commandment? To love God above all things. But we see here that Moses actually had a very, very wonderful grace given to him, which is that he openly was able to speak to the Lord. The Lord clearly spoke to him and even revealed Himself to him. But nevertheless, brothers, he was not the greatest of the Old Testament prophets. Who was the, old, the greatest of the Old Testament prophets? Why don't we turn to Luke 7 and look at, the, at verses uh, 20 to 30 so we can uh, see who the scriptures testify who was the greatest of the uh, Old Testament prophets. It says, I tell you, beginning at, at verse 28, among those born of women, none is greater than John. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. And when all the people heard this, and the tax collectors too, they declared God just having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. So we see here, brothers, that he who came before Christ, he was considered greatest amongst the Old Testament prophets. Right? Because he actually led the nation in repentance. He cleared the, the path for the Lord. And it's a very interesting thing, brothers, because notice that it says, it doesn't say he cleared the path for the Messiah, which he obviously did, but he did it for whom? For the Lord. So this Messiah, this Messianic figure that came was not a mere man. He was God himself in the flesh. And that's what we see with uh, John, that John being the greatest of the prophets, that means that every single one of you standing here today, brothers, you're greater than him. Think about that. You are greater than he is, because why? You are part of the kingdom of God. You are a servant in the kingdom of God, and that is a great, great privilege to have. And I'm thankful to the Lord, even though I reluctantly became a deacon, I'm very thankful to the Lord that He has given me the, the privilege to serve. But even while being given that privilege, and Brother Gerardo given, given the privilege of being able to serve as a pastor, every single one of you in here, brothers, are servants. All of you should be servants of God. Every single one of us in this house has a purpose. And I want you to think about that. Particularly those of you who have become members, 
Think about how you want to serve the Lord. Because in serving the Lord, brothers, you not only serve the Lord, you, we also serve each other. Because we know the first commandment is to love God above all things, right? But what's the second commandment? To love your brother as you love yourself. So when we come to church, it's not only just to glorify God, but it's also to serve one another and to honor one another. So this is the mindset in which Christ came. And we're going to begin to uh, further uh, take a look at this. And I actually want to look at the fact that as being servants of Christ, what does that entail? Now, I didn't get a chance to actually uh, look this in, so it's not going to be on the teleprompter. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 20. And we're going to be looking at verses 25 through 28. Matthew 20, 25 to 28. Amen, brothers? Verse 25. But Jesus called to him and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great ones exercised authority over them. It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came what? Not, Not to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. So what do we learn about being a servant? That whoever is going to serve in the kingdom of God must be humble. He must be humble as Christ is humble. As he came humble. We are not to look at ourselves as holy. I know that my brother Gerardo, as well as myself, certainly do not look at ourselves that way. If anything, we hope, brothers, that you will see us as your servants. That you will see that we're here for you guys. That we're serving Christ, and serving Christ to serve you. And that if any of you are in any need, please feel free to speak with us, and to be of any help to you. But likewise, I also encourage you who are in the church to do likewise with, your, with the rest of the brothers. Or any other person who comes to our house here, in search of the of God who is thirsting, because we know that anybody who thirsts for God, God has living water to give him. Continuing forward, I want to now look at verses uh, six and seven in Philippians. Though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a serpent. Excuse me, of a, ser of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men. So one of the things, brothers, that is very, very important. In order to truly be a Christian, you have to acknowledge that Christ is not a mere man. And that he's not a creature. But that he is actually God, very God. We have other passages as well, which we uh, which we know of that speak to the deity of Christ. Um, uh, I hope to not disappoint some of you out there. I'm not going to get into those, just for the fact that uh, we have various sources in which that can be seen, and our pastors themselves have a, a given given teaching on those things. But I do want to look at uh, Romans nine five. Romans nine five reads: To them belong the patriarchs from the race according to the flesh is the Christ, who is what? God over all. Blessed forever. Amen. 
So if you look at this passage here in Romans 9, brother, which in context is actually speaking about the Jews, to this, it makes, it makes this very point that the Messiah that was supposed to come to the Jews, he was not really a son of David. He was a God, a very God. He was a God that actually spoke to Moses. If we think Moses was great, imagine the one who spoke to Moses. Because we know that in the burning bushes, for those of you who have not uh, paid attention to this, but if you go and read Exodus chapter 4, where the prophet uh, Moses you know, saw the, the, the bush that was not burning, it says that it was the Lord who spoke, but it says that an angel of the Lord appeared in the burning bush. That angel of the Lord, we know, is the pre-incarnate Christ. It was Christ speaking in the Old Testament. And we have various examples, if you look at the Old Testament, of the angel of the Lord speaking these things. Let us look now at John 1.3. All things were made through him, and him without him was not any was not anything made that was made. That's quite a statement. Right? Because if he is a creature, then could a creature make himself? No, right? No one's ever has have, do you know anybody who's created anything out of nothing, brothers? Who's the only one that can create out of nothing? God Himself. So this text bears to the deity of Christ. Continuing forward, let's look at Romans chapter 1. Looking at verses 24 and 25. Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to dishonoring their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worship and serve the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. So what is this text telling us? That the reason why men are guilty is because they want to worship what they want. And what do they want to worship, brothers? They want to worship what is created, what is here on earth. In, in certain cases, it even says things that are in the heavens, speaking of angels. In reality, we know that those who... Uh, Worship of idols are actually worshiping demons. That's the testament that was given to Moses, and we know that even Paul reiterates that. But Christ is not a creature. Jesus, as a human being, his humanity was, was created by the Spirit of God, but his soul, the soul of Jesus, is not he's not a creature. And this clear is, this text is very clear. So for those who believe that you know the Father is one one thing and the Son is another and they are offering worship to God, and then offering another worship to Jesus, what you are doing is, you are actually worshiping the creature. We know that there is only one God, and that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are that one being. Three persons, one God. Let us look at Hebrews chapter 1, 5. It says, For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, Today I have begotten you, or will I, or I will be to him a father, and he will be to, to me a son. This is an interesting text, because are we not children of God? Does not the Bible say that we are sons of God? So how does this text argue that that uh, that he yet that he is not a son in the way that in the way that speaks of uh, I will be to him a father and he will be to me a son. The reason why is because one of the ways that Jesus is described is he's described as a, the one and only, the unique Son of God. 
So there's a way in which Jesus is the Son of God that the rest of us are not. I've actually heard Muslims make this particular fallacy. They say, well, Jesus is just a son the way everybody else is. God has many sons. But in reality, the Bible has a particular teaching. We are, we are children of God. After all, who do we follow? Who is our Father? Our Father in Heaven. But to those who follow the world, those who sin, who is their Father? The devil. The devil. The devil. And that's who they, who's, uh, whose deeds they do. And that's why we are called children of God. But in this particular case, we see that the Son of God, as it was promised to, to uh, David, the Son of David, after all saying that he would establish his throne forever. And when you read this text, it's in context of actually speaking of Solomon. So the question would then be for what other people argue, which is, well, isn't that actually speaking about Solomon? Well, I ask you this question, brothers. If God is good and he's true to his promises, do you think that he would have given a promise to establish a throne forever with a king that did not establish it? No. So this is clearly speaking messianic. And it's speaking of actually one of the sons of David. And that's why Jesus in uh, Psalm 110, which I don't have uh, here, I didn't put up in the uh, in the section, it actually makes uh, the point, uh, the Lord said to my Lord, and is speaking of David, saying that of the Messiah, right? Sit at my right hand. That's a very big claim. I think a lot of times people don't get the uh, importance of that particular verse because a king, a son cannot be greater than, than the king. So how is it that the Messiah, being generations later, can be greater than, than David? Because brothers and sisters, he was not a mere human king. David was a human king and was a great king because we know that he was chosen by God and it was said that he was a, a man after God's own heart. And yet the Messiah, he's the one that establishes the true kingdom of God, the eternal kingdom. And there are those that are waiting for Jesus to come and establish, you know, a uh, uh, a throne in, in the city of Jerusalem, over in Israel, where we, where we have today. Brothers, that's too late to think for Christ. Christ is not a mere king. He is a heavenly king. That's why he's spoken of so highly exalted. And in this particular verse in Hebrews, notice that it's saying that he is not an angel. He is not an angel like the other angels. When the angel of the Lord spoke, he had to be received like God. He bore the name of God. In the book of Exodus, it even says that it was told to Moses that whatever he forgives, if he wants to forgive, he can forgive. If he doesn't want to forgive, he doesn't have to forgive. When we look at the Gospels, and when Jesus uh, was telling you know, the people that he was healing and, and the people that he was uh, uh, speaking to, Go, you know, go and sin no more, your sins are forgiven. Do you guys remember what the Jews' uh, reaction was? Who is this man? How dare he? You know, only God can forgive sins. And yet we have in the book of Exodus an angel that can forgive sins. That is a pre-incarnate Christ. Because Christ indeed is divine. He alone is the only person that's come into flesh that can do this for us. Let us continue. I'd like to look at uh, Hebrews 4.15, and I want to look here at his submission. Start looking at the work of Christ as a servant. So if we can look at uh, Hebrews 4.15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, 
but one who has in every respect been tempted as we are, and yet without sin. This is an important passage, brother, because even in light of knowing that the Creator of heaven and earth, who is not tempted by sin, by the way, we will be looking at that, yet it speaks of Christ being able to be sympathetic to us, to these issues. Why? Because having been born as a man in the likeness that is of ourselves, he himself had experienced the same things that we did. Now, to be tempted, there's two ways of, of, of looking at it. There's a way to be tempted in a way that, for instance, if I offer my wife, you know, uh, uh, a box of uh, raisins, one can say that I tempted her, but it's not a temptation to her because she actually hates raisins. You know? So, in some ways, you could say that's that's the way in which uh, it's, it was given to Christ in the sense that even though he being a man was presented with these temptations, he did not have the desire over these things because he was hope. Right? And there are, of course, there is the other sense in which uh, we speak about where we, we are tempted and that and in the sense that we ourselves have a desire to go up to these things because obviously since we are in the flesh, there are actually many things that tempt us. But when it speaks of Christ, it does speak of these temptations being brought to him, but not necessarily him being uh, persuaded to them or having a desire after them. That's why it says that he was tempted, yet without sin. Let us go to Matthew 4.1. says, And Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by whom? The devil. So we see that even his temptation went to the fact that even the devil himself tempted him. And this is an interesting one because I know that in one of the temptations that he actually does is he actually takes him to, to, uh, to a high place and tells him, You see all the kingdoms of this world, they have been given to me. Says, if you bow to me, in other words, if you worship me, I will give them to you. Now we know that at Gethsemane, Jesus suffered a, quite some anxiety over the fact that he knew what he was going to have to be suffering, you know, on the cross. And I'm sure he he had an idea of what was uh, awaiting him. Obviously, why would he have been so anxious, right? But we see that even even in that sense, Christ was able to resist the devil. And in many ways, brothers, that's what people should be doing as well. The scriptures actually teach that. If you resist the devil, he will flee from you. But how do we have that strength and power? Knowing that even though the Spirit of God is working within us, we're still in the flesh. And we're still tempted. By the Spirit of God. Seek the Spirit of God. Act all upon the Lord. And he will give you the way out. Why? Because we are finite brothers. We have finite strength. Our strength gets exhausted. But God, God never exhausts. As a matter of fact, when it speaks of God working, when does He stop? He never stops. He's always working. Right? That's one of the things that Jesus revealed to us. So look to the Lord who is your strength in these uh, times of weaknesses. Last uh, verse I'd like to give you in connection to verse uh, 7 is uh, James 1.13, which reads, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. This is an important passage because here we're seeing again a confirmation of what I had spoken to you guys prior, which is that God is not tempted by evil. I don't know if you guys have ever asked yourselves that. Why is it that God cannot be tempted by evil? And the reason why God cannot be tempted by evil, brothers, 
is because that's not his nature. God is good. So he has no desire for evil. So in a way, that's kind of a, a disconcerting thing for us because if we're enticed and uh, we find things that are evil attractive, that actually has not too good a thing to say about us, right? So it gives a perspective of why we should be trusting in the Lord and not really be trusting too much in what we think and in our own power. Because it is God, the Almighty, who has the ability and the character to be able to give you the ability to do that. Let us now look at verse 8 of Philippians. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Let us turn to 1 Timothy 3.16. Reading, great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of Godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, and taken up in glory. So we see that even while he was here on earth, and eventually given up to glory, he never stopped being divine. Christ was always God. He was God manifested in the flesh. He lived and was vindicated by, by the Spirit. This is an important thing because since Christ lived as a man, as we have lived as men, He didn't rely on His, uh, on his what's it called, uh, on, the, on the fact that, uh, that He being in the, in the likeness of God to have to necessarily appeal to that. In other words, He didn't go to His deity necessarily as he lived that as a man, but he himself was actually depending on God, on the Father, on the Spirit of God. And this is an important thing because this is what we have to do ourselves, brothers. While Christ was perfect, he still looked to the Father. Did he not pray to the Father? This is one of the things that confounds people because it's like, well, if he's God, why is he praying to the Father? How can God pray to God? But we see that there's a, there's a relationship within the Trinity, within the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that actually honors my mind. And He is actually our greatest example of what we should be doing, which is that we need to be praying continually to the Lord. We know that when He He went up uh, He went up the mountain to pray, how, I don't know if you guys remember, but how long did, did, the, uh, did the apostles actually pray for? I think not even an hour, he came down, he had been up there for hours, and he came down, he said, not even one hour, you know, and bravely, they were they all fell asleep. And it's very easy, you know, to speak of them and condemn them over that, but how many times, brothers, do we even take five minutes to pray? Yeah, we ourselves actually lack in that aspect, and that's actually one of the things that we really need to be divine on, to be able to seek the Lord's face. That's why we've started a prayer meeting, because... It's important not only to do it as individuals, but also as a congregation to seek the Lord's face, following His beautiful example. If we can look now at James, oh no, that's already been, we've already dealt with that. Uh, yes, I want to actually look at John 1.14. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, 
glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So here we see again that particular concept, brothers, that He's a what son? He's the only Son of God. And that's an important thing to, to keep in mind because whatever He asks, the Lord was more than happy to give. And in John 17, we have the priestly prayer of Christ. And this is connected actually with uh, what uh, our pastor preached on last week. And, and that is the manner in which we should be, being of one mind, seeking to be in peace with one another, to actually outdo each other in the things that are, that are good to one another. So we have to be looking consistently to the goodness of Christ and seeing if our lives can produce that kind of fruit. If you see that you're lacking these things, brothers, that's a sign that you need to turn to the Lord. Many times we get very comfortable in the world, and we start to rely on our strength. We start to rely on our thinking, on, on our plans. But we have to be coming back to the Lord. And if you suffer tribulations, that's part of the reason, brother. One of the reasons why we suffer tribulations and why evil comes our way is because many times that is what is, God is using to bring us to Him, to show us our reliance upon Him, because it's very easy for us to stray. But He being the only Son of God, the Father was more than happy to give Him what He desired. And us being found in Him, we will be also answered in our prayers if we, if we pray along to the will of God, along to the will of Christ. If you could please look at uh, Isaiah 42a. One of the things that I found interesting is that uh, there are those, as I've said, who say that Christ is not divine, that He does not share the same with the Father. But when we look at Isaiah 42 eight, it says, I am the Lord, that is my name, my glory I give to no other, nor my, my praise to carved idols. And yet we know that Christ was received up in what? Glory. In glory. He received the, the heavenly glory. He received the, the glory of God. And yet this text in the Old Testament is very clear that he cannot have that that he cannot have that, that glory. The glory of God cannot be given to another. So if Christ is sharing in that same glory of the Father and of the Spirit, then therefore, brothers, that is our God. That is the very God that, that works in us. I'd like to now look at the humiliation of the cross, of the fact that he was obedient to the point of death. And it's very important, brothers, that it actually states to the death of the cross, because there is a significance to that. And I'd like us to go ahead and look at John 10, verses 17 and 18. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me. But I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Here again, brothers, we see actually the superiority of Christ. Because if he was an angel, I've actually asked some brothers this. And I don't know if you've ever thought of it yourself, brother. But what is an angel? What does an angel do? He's a servant. But he, yeah, he is a ministering spirit. So that means that his work is to serve, to do the will of God. Did Christ do that? Yes, he did. And in many ways, we have to do so as well. But whose authority 
is it? Whose ultimate authority is it on all things? It's God's, right? So when the father asks the son to give his life for the many of us, isn't it interesting that it actually says that Jesus actually says, I have authority to take it. That he himself has that authority. That is a sign of divinity. Because if he was not divine, he could not say that. He, he could only do what God is asking him to do. In that same way, brothers, it's the same thing with us. And this is important, especially in that of the way we live our lives, because we have to be cognizant of the fact that not everything that we desire, brothers, is going to happen. Many of the things that we're going to be uh, going through are going to be difficult, and we're going to probably make decisions that we don't even want to make. But the one thing that we can rely on, brothers, is that we know that God is good, and that wherever God is putting you, it serves you. So, don't have any fear, as the scriptures in many places tell us, but trust in the Lord. And what this means is, just as James says, do not say, you know, I'm going to go to such and such a place and do business, but Lord willing. Same, take the same attitude and the same mindset, brothers, which is anything that you do, don't think it's going to happen because you have a great plan or because you have a great ability or because you're such a smart person, but because the Lord wills it. If you're able to do many things, that is a wonderful thing, brothers. But that's just a sign of how much God has blessed you. Because even our own abilities, our own gifts, did we make them ourselves? No. They were born. We were born with them, right, for the most part. You know, there are certain things we learn, but there are many things that we innately do. And that came from God. God who created us. So it's very important to understand that when it comes to the things of God, if you want to be able to succeed in holiness, then know that it's because God is doing it. So when you're having difficulties in your life, don't fret those. Look to the Lord because He is the one doing a good work in you. Let us look at Galatians 3.13. Christ redeemed us on the on, excuse me. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. Becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. This is actually a, a quote from a verse from the Old Testament. And I apologize, I should have had the verse. But it comes from the law of Moses. So when the law was given to, to the Jews, it had different specifications to what was holy and what was unholy. And to be cursed on a tree was actually a very unholy thing. So the fact that Christ died on a tree was a great offense to the Jews. This was something that they could not accept. The conquering king is going to be dying on a on a tree. And said it can't be. This this man cannot be the Messiah. But at the same time, this was actually a great ill reputation to Jesus, even in the rest of the world, 